You know, many common ailments can be traced back to diet. Researchers at Tufts University uh, studying diet and health reported in their March 7, 2017 Journal of the American Medical Association that of 702-plus thousand adults uh, who died due to heart disease, stroke, and type 2 diabetes, over 318,000 of them, that's 45%, were associated with inadequate consumption of certain foods and nutrients widely considered vital for healthy living and overconsumption of other foods that are not, foods that uh, are not considered very healthy. Simply put, our eating habits, for many, are killing us. And have you ever considered the term that we use and throw about so frivolously, junk food? We talk about junk food. And I suppose it depends on who you are, what you think of as junk food, but the sugary uh, cold cereals that you might have in the morning, uh, donuts, uh, sometimes hot dogs, hamburgers, french fries, all that sort of thing, sometimes we think of as junk food. How remarkable the words junk and food are used in the same sentence or used concurrently one after the other. Would we ever consider putting junk oil in our automobiles? I think that most of us are very careful to follow the manufacturer's specifications on lubricants rather than just putting any old oil in our cars. It's amazing that we are more concerned for our cars than we are for our physical bodies. But the reality is that that's true. Now let's take this one step further. Have you ever considered that there is junk food for the mind? That what you allow to enter your mind can slowly kill you as much as junk food kills the body. In fact, mental junk food is even more dangerous than the physical junk food. The physical junk food can kill the body, but the mental or spiritual junk food can kill the soul. When I say the soul, I'm not talking about an immortal soul. If you read the 28th verse of Matthew 10, Matthew 10:28, it talks about don't fear those that can kill the body but can't kill the soul. So both can be killed, but there's a physical body that we have, and then there's the life principle that is in the, uh, the individual. In today's sermon, we're going to consider the subject of what we allow to enter into our minds. Some things are good, and some things are not so good. We've probably all heard of chicken soup for the soul, Well, the title for this sermon is Junk Soup for the Soul. God admonishes us to put into our minds healthy food, a healthy diet, a healthy spiritual food. Let's notice over in Philippians, the fourth chapter, Philippians 4, And verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, 
whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, the only way that those things can be in our minds is if we have observed them, if we have read about them, if those things have come to us, then we can meditate on them. We can meditate on the facts of nature, the things that God has created. There's an excellent article, I think it's by Dr. Fall, on the subject of bones in the most recent uh, Tomorrow's World magazine that just came out. You may not have received it as yet, but you will be receiving it. It's part of the wonders of God. And we can meditate. We can think about those things. We can practice Philippians 4, verse 8, if we're bringing into our minds things that are noble, things that are good, things about God and His creation. But sadly, much of the things that we allow into our minds are not noble. They are not pure. They are not lovely. They're not of good report and not virtuous. They're not praiseworthy. So we have to think about those things that we allow into our minds. Scripture that was mentioned or referred to in the Tomorrow's World update, uh, the letter that I had written, is found over in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians 5. And in verse 15 it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. There's a, a tremendous amount in that passage, and we could memorize that passage, as oftentimes people do, But the problem with memorizing something, as I brought out in the John 3.16 booklet, is that once we've memorized it, we kind of put it on the shelf because we've got that down. And we don't think about what it actually means. But to be circumspect, we use the term specs for glasses. You're wearing specs today. Uh, Or other forms of of the, uh, the word uh, spectator or whatever it is in the French or the Latin. But when it says circum, that has to do with around. Being circumspect or looking around us at what is happening. And it's so easy for us as human beings, and we all do this to some degree or another, we, we just go through life following the course of this world. And it's a, it's a very difficult thing for us to stop and think about what is happening. When we watch the news and we get stirred up and we get angry, do we stop and think about, okay, what's happening to my mind right now? Is this good that is happening to me or is it not? Or we hear a song and we get all excited in one way or another. Are the emotions good emotions or are they not such good emotions? Or maybe they're good emotions, but they have to be controlled. Are we circumspect? Are we thinking about what is happening with our hearts and our minds? And how the world and all the things that come in through the eyes and the ears and the taste that we have and everything else, and the feelings that we have, are we circumspect about these things? Are we thinking about them, 
or are we just going along with them, going downstream, as they say, any old dead fish can float downstream. But it takes a live one to move upstream. And I think that so often as human beings, we have a hard time slowing down enough to think about what is happening around us and to us. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, just across the page perhaps for some of you, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, this again is a passage of Scripture that we're very familiar with. And we think about the armor of God. And we can read it off, and sometimes people have this whole passage memorized. But what does it mean that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil? Because, you see, the devil is out there, and he is trying to get into your mind and into my mind. I'm not separating myself from you at all. He's trying to get to us, and he's trying to pollute our mind with junk soup for the soul. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities of the darkness, principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. So whatever the age is, these rulers are working against us. And certainly when Paul wrote this, there were the rulers of darkness, the spirit powers that were behind the the course of the world of that time, just as they are behind the course of the world of this time, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, the evil day, and having done all to stand. And then it gives the different parts of the armor that it speaks of there. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Do we evaluate things whether they are true or do we just allow our emotions to float along and to go along with what comes into our minds? Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, when it speaks of truth, I was thinking here, Mr. Armstrong had such a wonderful picture of the world in terms of how the world operates. And he pointed out that the government that we have here in the world today is not God's government. It's man's government. And yet sometimes people get caught up in the governments of this world. And as I wrote in an article that I think is coming out, um, it's, it's not out yet. But as one individual said to another individual in the church, uh, the one was outside the church. He'd gone to some of the group or whatever, and he was talking to him, and he said, well, just show me one thing in the Constitution that is against, or that the Bible is against, or one thing that the Bible is against in the Constitution. And you have to wonder, has that person even read the Constitution? Because the whole thing is about governance. Having an executive, having the uh, the Congress, and then the, the judiciary, and how it operates this is not God's government. But we can get caught up in all of the uh, 
amendments, the First Amendment, Second Amendment, and everything like that. And we can get so caught up in those things without realizing what is happening and evaluating and thinking about what am I thinking about and how does it apply according to the Word of God. It talks about truth here, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness and, and having a protection of the vital part of the, the body and, and the heart and the mind in this sense, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and taking on the shield of faith. So all of these things we have to, I'm not going to go into a long dissertation on the meaning of each of these things, but I think that we, we have sermons on the subject from time to time, and we have to look at what it is that's happening around us, what is being thrown at us, the fiery darts that are coming our way from Satan the devil. And unless our minds are in gear and we're thinking about these things, they're just going to flood into our minds and they're going to influence how we think and how we think may not be, in fact, if it's coming from the world, is not going to be the right thinking. When we look at what Mr. Armstrong talked about, governance is being, or governments are man's governments. Education, we can see that, how the education of this world is not God's education. We're suffering from a pandemic right now. But, you know, there are some who are vaccinated for one reason. I know that some of our international men, in order to do the work of God, they have to be. One man left the state where he was. And they changed the law, and he couldn't even get back home without being vaccinated. So we have different situations. There are some places that they may try to take your children away, and someone would say, well, I'm not going to be vaccinated. I'm not going to allow them to. Okay, they'll take your children away. They'll vaccinate them, and then you'll have fun trying to get them back. So there are a lot of reasons why people might want to be vaccinated. But if we're looking at that, as our healer, is that is the solution to everything, we, we need to look long-term. And again, I, I, I don't want to influence anybody one way or the other because this is a personal decision, what you do. And I may someday be vaccinated because I need to do the work. But that being said, let me tell you a little story to show that we need to think long-term and we need to recognize that man's solution to everything isn't God's solution to everything. My wife was expecting a child back in the early 70s. And she began to have some health issues. And instead of using a midwife, we went to a doctor at that point because she was having high blood pressure and a number of other issues. And the doctor, I think, really did mean well. And he started changing some things there. And then she went into labor, premature, about seven and a half months. And the doctor put her in the hospital immediately because he did not want the child to come at that point in time. Back in the early 70s, a child that's a couple pounds in weight didn't have a lot of chance of survival. And she went in the hospital, and I think the doctor very much meant well. But a few hours later, the baby was no longer living. But 
Even more importantly than that, he was giving her something called DES, diethylstilbestrol, which at the time was what they felt was the, the way to stop an abortion that was happening spontaneously. Not, not something that you plan, but a spontaneous abortion where the body begins to uh, go into labor prematurely. Now, I did some study on st- diethylstilbestrol because it was about that time I read something that, first of all, they found that it didn't do the job that they thought it would do. But secondarily, they found, because they've been using this for a number of years, that young girls about 18, 19, 20 years of age, were coming down with a very rare form of cancer. It seemed like at the time, my memory may not serve me exactly correctly, but they found eight cases of this in young girls, and they said, whoa, what's gone wrong here? What are we looking at? And they traced it all back to the mothers had taken diethylstilbestrol during pregnancy. So they don't give that, as far as I know, anymore. But it took some 18, 19, 20 years down the road before they found out that what they were doing was creating a big problem. You know, some of the things that man does may look good at the time, but there are long-term consequences. And I'm not saying that the vaccination is going to have long-term consequences, but it's an experiment. Let's be honest with ourselves. We don't know what the long-term consequences are going to be because it hasn't been around more than just about a year, two years at the most if they've been testing it. So there are people who, for reasons, especially when it comes to children, say that, look, the the risk is, is, we don't know what the risk is. I choose not to. But at the same time, you have people who, you know, they want to see family. In some cases, family lives in a different country. In some cases, they may be sick and may be dying. And people make that decision to be vaccinated for that reason. They're not looking for salvation from the medicine man. You know, Mr. Armstrong understood that modern medicine is not the cure for everything. Yes, there are times that doctors can be helpful. And everybody has to make up his own mind what he's going to do. But I think we're getting as a church to the place where a younger generation thinks that, oh, the doctors have the solution to everything. And they simply do not. They can be helpful, but do not look upon them as God. God is our true healer. And I think that We have to have some balance in that. That's all I'm saying. Let's try to have a a balance in that. But these things come into our minds, and we we think that because, you know, they're they're saying this or that, that, that everything has to be so. But there's some things that are just not. Let's look at several different varieties of junk soup. Might call it clam chowder or something along that line. Number one, pornography. It's difficult to get images and thoughts out of our mind once they're there. 
Let me give just two examples, not, not pornographic examples, just two examples of how it's hard to get things out of our mind. Those of us who kept Christmas as children, uh, there are a lot of images that we have that we can't shed very easily. There are other images, for example, pictures of Christ, of what man thinks Christ looks like. And I don't know about you, but growing up till I was about 15, 16 years of age, I thought those pictures were of Christ. I saw statutes and different things, not, not that uh, the churches I went to had the statutes, but you couldn't avoid them. And so when you get down and you pray, even to this day sometimes I have to realize that what I have in my mind is not what Christ looked like. I don't mean that it's always there or anything, but every once in a while it crops up and I have to try to change that into to something totally different. The glorified Christ or recognizing I just don't know what he looked like. Once you put something in your mind, it's very difficult to get out. And you know, at nighttime, there, we have these dreams. And there are all these different pictures. And I, uh, I mentioned here the other day to some, somebody that I, I've thought for a long time that what is happening, what dreams really are, uh, in, in Ecclesiastes, I think it is, it says it's a multitude of business. But, but, but there are things that sometimes you can kind of trace them to things that have happened recently. And, and maybe, maybe the mind is defragging. For those of you who don't have computers, you can defrag, which means that all these things go into the computer, and when you defrag it, it organizes it. And, and maybe that's what's happening in the mind, it's defragging, it's, it's organizing things. And so you've got all these thoughts and different things going different directions, and they kind of come together in some sort of weird way. You know, it's kind of like last night. I had this just uh, this horrendous dream. It was really awful. I, I dreamed that I was locked up in a muffler shop. <laughs> and I woke up this morning exhausted. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a groaner. <laughs> but how do you get these things out of your mind once they're there? And when people get into pornography... They have images and thoughts and stuff that's there that's very difficult to get out. Perhaps you've seen a movie where, uh, of, of any sort, I don't mean a pornographic movie hopefully, but uh, a movie and you have thoughts and images that are there. Uh, Grant Brenner, MD, writing for Psychology Today, March the 5th, 2018, uh, wrote an article that was titled, Four Ways Porn use causes problems. New research on sexual satisfaction, loneliness, and relationship stability. And he pointed out in this article, pornography use is widespread. I, I was just uh, for, for this and actually for a program I want to do on this general subject uh, similar to this sermon. I'm doing some research and, and I wish I'd have remembered where the article was because it, it described this one, it didn't describe it, it just said that there was one video that's out there that has billions of views. 
billions. I'm not talking about the number of like seven or eight billion. We're talking about way beyond the population of the world. Many times over. So obviously people have watched it over and over and over and over over again. But also would tell you that a lot of people are into it. And that, if you do any study on the subject, you find that it is widespread, very widespread. But he says here, because of how, I'm sorry, let me go back. He says it's widespread and often problematic and has been shown to generally have a negative impact on couples and gender relations, leading men and women to devalue one another. Because of how sex impacts impacts the brain, pornography essentially short-circuits other systems, becoming not only addictive, but also undermining secure attachment, mutual related, relatedness, and intimacy. You know, the fact is that we in the ministry from time to time come across situations where perhaps the husband is into pornography and it's affecting the relationship between him and his wife. And yet pornography today is more available than it's ever been. I thank God I was born at a much earlier era or time. It wasn't something that I even knew how to find. It wasn't that I never saw any. Somebody would come in with some cheap track or whatever. It was not all that that bad in one sense. It was not good, but it was not like what we have today. But it's more available. It comes to young people through their computer, even without them looking for it. It's more available and more available to a younger audience. Apparently, it's far more graphic than pornography of the past. And it's also more violent in nature. I would assume that would be violence against women, but it could be both ways. I don't know. I've made a lot of mistakes in life, but that's not one that I've gotten into, thankfully. But awesomely, it's more virtual and real. Now you can put on glasses or whatever, and through all the technology, I guess it becomes very real. Regarding virtuality, Brenner and others have warned, quote, when virtual and augmented reality really kick off, pornography could become an even more powerful genie, almost impossible to get back into the bottle. And I've talked to people who are addicted to pornography. Remember one young fellow who wrote me one time, because I was over the summer camps, and so he knew me, and I guess he felt safe to, to write to me, and I don't remember what I wrote back, but I think I encouraged him to see his minister. Whether he did, I don't know. But he realized he was addicted to it. Now, while psychologists debate whether porn is detrimental, the Bible is unambiguous, and it's very direct. In Psalm 101, Psalm 101, the 101st Psalm, beginning in verse 1, It says, make a joyful shout to the Lord. I'm sorry, let me get the right one. Verse, 10, verse 
one of 101. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Behave wisely. Now, if you're not circumspect, if you're not looking around at the world and how it's impacting you, then you're not walking wisely. He says, oh, when you will, or when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now, sometimes you have to just cry out to God. Give me a clean heart, a clean mind, a clean body. Just clean me up, Father. Make sure my thoughts are right. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. The ways of this world shall not cling to me, perhaps in a reference to being uh, addictive in that sense. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. I will not allow wickedness to enter into my mind in that sense. Now, some people might say, well, how do we know it's wicked? Is that just your idea? Well, let's go over to Matthew, the sixth chapter. I think you know where this is going. Matthew 6 and verse 27. That's not right. It's Matthew 5. Sorry about that. Matthew 5. I forgot my Bible. It's a different one I've got here today. Matthew five twenty-seven. You have heard there was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That was something that former President Jimmy Carter had referred to at one time. Adultery in the heart. And how can you watch pornography and not be guilty of that? So we start out with the fact that it is a vile thing against God. We have to admit that. And then we have to avoid it. And it may take some counseling, some help. If you're sick, you might go to a doctor. If you are mentally sick or spiritually sick, you should come to a minister. Get some help. Now, close behind pornography are number two uh, junk uh, soup is romance novels and movies. Now, let me explain a little bit of what I'm saying here. You know, some food is okay in proper uh, proportions and occasionally. For example, in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, During the Feast of Trumpets, he said, eat the fat, drink the sweet. We normally think of fat things, rich things, you might say, like uh, cream cheese or uh, uh, some sort of a uh, a, uh, a pie with a lot of fat in it. Uh, What I'm trying to think of uh, an example, cheesecake or something along that line. You may think of that as just being bad all the time, but it says, eat the fat, drink the sweet. There's a time to drink something that's sweet. In Proverbs 24, we'll turn over there. 
because there are a couple passages here close together, and we may have time for this. Proverbs 24 and verse 13. It says, My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. So he's comparing knowledge with honey. It's sweet to the soul, so to speak. Over in the 25th chapter, verse 16, it says, Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. In other words, eat honey. It's good, but it's good in the right proportions. I'd like to tell a story of of someone that I knew from many, many years ago, an example. There was a couple that came into the church and they came in over a little bit of a period of time, and we had visited with them uh, a number of times, several times, before they, they came to church. And they eventually came to church, and they were a beautiful family. They had several children. And we, we dearly loved the, this couple and their family. But during the course of time, the man's old army buddy came through town, and they put him up for a couple weeks. I don't remember whether he was just getting out of the military, but they, they put him up for a short period of time. And I remember having been over at their house one evening when he was there. And I remember seeing this woman with a look in her eye toward this fellow when he was talking that this stuck there in my brain, but I didn't really think much of it at the time. It was just something that I, I recognized, I noticed. I would describe it as the Nancy Reagan look when she looked at Mr. Reagan. And it turned out that they were having an affair. It was, it was heart, heartbreaking to, to see this happen. I think that the husband and wife got through it. I don't think their marriage is ever quite the same, but they got through it. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, because in counseling with this woman, it really came out that she was reading constantly these romance novels, Harlequin novels. I don't remember if that was the exact one or not. You know, the Harlequin novels, I I guess that people still read them today. I don't know. I haven't seen one in a long, long time. But you have the same thing on the the Hallmark Channel uh, to some degree. Uh, and, and, and various other uh, programs that, that may or may not have anything to do with romance, but there, there's a set formula. So it's not a single person that's writing it. They just have the formula. And the names change, and the places change, and the job the person has may change, but it's all basically the same script. And when people get into that sort of thing, and that's what they feed on constantly it can have an impact, and that's what happened with this woman. She was reading all these novels about a knight in shining armor coming and sweeping her off her feet, off into the sunset, 
And she fed on that constantly, and the knight in shining armor showed up in the form of her husband's army buddy. Now, could that have happened had she not been reading them? Well, I'm sure it could have. But I think we can also see that something like that would have an impact when you fill your mind with that stuff constantly. I'm not here to say that every time there's a romance movie, a romance novel, that uh, it's wrong to, to eat it, but certainly, just as with honey or something sweet, it needs to be in very small portions, you might say. We can't condemn everything that's out there, but at the same time, we have to be careful. But even if you're watching one of them and you are mentally putting yourself into that picture and violating Matthew 5, 27 and 28, then that's a problem. Someone might entertain themselves in a way without violating the spirit and the intent of adultery, just enjoying the, the movie. Pornography in any quantity is poison to the soul. And vicariously living through romance novels can slowly poison the soul. So that's something we need to be very careful of. I'm not saying that you can never watch, uh, you know, a, a nice movie. When you say romance movie, we're not talking about risque scenes and that sort of thing. But there are some cute movies out there, I guess, and that's up to you to choose, but... Think about what you're watching, and don't feed on a steady diet of that sort of thing. The third one, violent video games, and I'll include violent movies. Some of the stuff that's coming out today is just bizarre in terms of its violence. We talk about gratuitous violence. I guess that there are some movies that have something violent in them, may have a point to them. Maybe something about World War II or the um, American Revolution or the American Civil War. There may be some benefit in seeing something like that. But when we get caught up in violent video games or just more and more violence as it comes out uh, in movies and on the screen, we need to be careful. I can remember the time. And the young people will not know this. You can't because you didn't live then. But when somebody was shot in a Western movie or whatever, they'd fall over or whatever it was, but you didn't see the bullet coming through them and the blood splattering all over the place. I remember when that started to happen. It was a different level of violence. But you know what? We've seen it so much that... We don't think about it twice. Now, maybe it's more real, more graphic, but what is the purpose of it? What am I watching? What am I entertaining myself with? When it comes to violent videos, California passed a law banning the sale or rental of violent video games to minors. But the law was struck down by the Supreme Court. The Dana Foundation an organization advancing understanding about the brain, wrote regarding these games, quote, 
The gore was graphically described by Justice Samuel Alito in a concurring opinion to the 2011 Supreme Court decision. In obvious disgust, he wrote that victims are killed with every imaginable uh, implement, including machine guns, clubs, hammers, and chainsaws, among others. Victims are dismembered, decapitated if some bowels set on fire and chopped into little pieces. They cry out in agony and beg for mercy, blood gushes, splatters, etc., etc., etc. Some games exploit antisocial themes, he continued. They're games in which a player can reenact the killings at Columbine High School and Virginia Tech. The goal of one game has to do with rape. I won't go any further than that. This is an ethnic, there, there is also ethnic cleansing games in which players can choose to gun down African Americans, Latinos, or Jews. And I suppose various other groups. I think that we can, we don't have to have a whole lot of God's Spirit to recognize this is not good. This is not right. What does the Bible say about it? Well, Luke, the 17th chapter, tells us that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. What was it like in the days of Noah? You can go back to Genesis, the 6th chapter. The earth was corrupt and filled with violence. And it says that every imagination of the heart was only evil continually. Every imagination of the heart and the mind was only evil continually. In Isaiah, the second chapter, Isaiah 2 and verse 4, we read this at the feast. Neither shall they learn war anymore. They shouldn't learn war anymore. I can guarantee that in the kingdom of God or when the kingdom of God rules upon this earth, we will not have violent war-killing video games. In Psalm 119, let's turn there, Psalm 119 and verse 37. You know, they've got these zombie movies now. I, I, I've never watched one. I say it's a series on television. And my guess, maybe someone who's watched it, although you may not want to admit it now, uh, but but my guess is that it gives you the the thrill of seeing a human being who's not fully human die. It's okay to kill them because they're not fully human. It desensitizes us to killing. But in Psalm uh, 119, going to get the right one here. In verse 37, it says here, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way, in God's way. Revive me in your way, God. But he says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things things that are just not beneficial. In Isaiah 33, a passage of Scripture that we have often 
Feld speaks of a place called Petra, uh, of a time of fleeing. In Isaiah 33, and we'll break into part of it here, verse 14, it says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire, the, the uh, tribulation that's coming? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks or the fortifications of Selah, which is the Hebrew for Petra. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Very interesting passage because although we don't know where a place of safety will be on this earth or the place of safety someplace in the wilderness, as Mr. Armstrong used to say, we don't know where it will be, but if the Bible gives any indication, it will be Petra. And this is one of the passages there. Stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Shutting those images out of our minds. Violence, whether it be video games or whether it be movies, killing zombies, whatever it might be. Shutting our eyes from those things. Number four, most music. Now, this is not to say that all music is bad, but sadly, just as you go through the grocery store and you look for something that is not junk food, so when you go through the various kinds of music, you find that much of the music is junk soup. Think about the themes of country and western music. It's not all bad. There's some good country and western music, I guess. I'm not into it, but I think there's some good country and western music. But the the themes of, you know, running off of somebody else's wife and that sort of thing, and that's probably too general for country and western. It's probably not all that way, but there's a certain amount of that. Rap music. So much of rap music is tied up in violence toward authority, toward women. Uh, then there's the Christian rap. And you have to really wonder... Is this really what God wants, the way that we would express ourselves in that way? Hard rock music. In fact, rock music in general was born out of rebellion. The music of the 50s and 60s, because that was more of my generation. Even in the church, sometimes we have sock hops and we have, you know, the 50s and 60s music is so that's better than more modern music. But when you go back and you listen to some of it, it's not always so good. Even the movies of that time. Remember the Beach Boy movies? The beach type movies? The dancing? And the skimpy bathing suits and all that sort of thing. Maybe they're skimpier today, but they were pretty skimpy then too. Yet a lot of the, the whole concept of rock music was to separate parents and children. 
You know, I'm 16 and I know all about love, but my parents don't. Uh, That's not exactly the words of any of them, but that's kind of the theme of some of them. And for those who are 16 who think that mom and dad don't know anything about love, I always have the same question. How do you think you got here? (laughs) You know, mom and dad knew a lot about love. Dad was cool and mom was beautiful until they had you (laughs) or me. And then they had to, dad had to actually work. And he couldn't afford that fancy sports car any longer. He had to take care of you. And mom did too. She didn't have time for all the things that she might have had time for before. Now mom and dad know about it, but the music of the 60s, and and this is written, it's not something that's uh, revolutionary. It was born out of rebellion. It was, it was done certain things. Elvis and his hips and everything were, were done in such a way that it, you know, caused parents to gasp. What's happening in our world? And it goes on today. If you read Capellian's uh, book on, um, what is it? Uh, well, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, if anybody's interested, I... Um, the marketing of evil, how they market it. And it is to separate parents from children, even to this day, the same thing. There are those forces of doing so. You know, when we think of music, I've, I've come to the conclusion that the most beautiful music that there is, and this is, this is a generalization because there are exceptions to this, often has a dark side to it. Remember the, the, the song, From a Distance? I've even heard that sung at services. Not here, but I have heard it sung at services. But what's the message of it? It's, it's kind of a beautiful tune. It's very catchy. But, but it's all about, well, God, you know, you're up to, it doesn't say God, but the sense is, from a distance, everything looks wonderful down here on earth, but you get close up, and it's not so wonderful. The wars, the fighting, the disease, and everything like that, and It's basically saying, God, you need to come down here and look at what's happening. That's kind of the general sense of the whole thing. We used to have, and I've, I thought it was kind of cute, the, at dances, YMCA. You know, YMC, whatever. Uh, And everybody does that, and everybody's singing to it. Does anybody know what it's talking about? Talk about a homosexual hangout at the YMCA. Because they used to have, I guess they still do, you know, it's Young Men's Christian Association. That's what it stood for originally. But in some of the larger cities, they have rooms that you can rent out. And there are places where homosexuals hung out. And when you listen to the words of it, wow. I remember... Uh, one of the, the fellows at camp said, yeah, we're not going to play that song. And I said, why not? And um, so I, I listened to it and I found out that's the reason we don't do it. Another song that I heard actually sung at services years ago, decades ago, Like a Bridge Over Troubled Water by uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Like a bridge over... Okay. I'm sorry, Mariah. I can't quite... Sing like you can. Uh, what is it about? 
It's about a heroin injection. When it gets to the last verse, the bridge over troubled waters, ride on silver lady or silver girl, your dreams are all in the way. That's not even disputable. It is exactly what it is. And yet it's a, a beautiful song. Satan knows what he's doing. You know, he is, uh, when, when you read Ezekiel 28, and you read about Lucifer or Satan, Ezekiel 28, let's just notice that. I think that we're familiar with it. I don't think this is anything revolutionary to most of us, but maybe some of our younger people or some of our newer people may not be aware of this. Um, Begin to do like the old folks. Have to, can't separate the pages. Verse twelve says, "You are the seal of perfection, full of of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond. Mentioned several others there. It says the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you." On the day you were created, timbrels and pipes, instruments of music. Apparently, this spirit being, this cherub, who has become the devil and Satan, had great musical talent. And he understands beat, that young people love the beat. And he puts that in music and perverts music of all kinds. We have contemporary Christian music, and I think some of us have recognized there's a problem with it. But one of our members in another area wrote some things up and, and really explained what some of it is. It's, it's like love songs, supposedly toward Christ, but it doesn't always explicitly say that. And you could substitute just about anybody in that. that that's one of the problems of it. There's something about modern uh, Christian contemporary music, much of it, that is problematic. Not all of it, but most of it. What about classical music? A lot of it's dark and depressing. Most of us have known that. We've not liked listening to some of it. But there's wonderful and beautiful classical music. (laughs) And then, of course, how can we skip this time of year? What you've been listening to on the radio here of late. Uh, all I want for Christmas is you. I guess that's the most popular song out there. There's a place down in Texas where they've had to ban it being played on the jukebox more than one time a night. Uh, I can't stand it. I, 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 you know, I've never heard the whole song, I don't think, but I hear it advertised or they, you know, in between news they put these different things on. And, uh, that's a different Mariah, I guess, that sang that one. But Christmas music. And let's be honest with ourselves, some of it, and this is why we have to understand Satan is such a master of this, it sticks in our minds. And you walk, go for a walk and you see a deer and you start, you know, singing about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and you can't, you can't get it out of your mind. Are we influenced by the music we listen to? Notice Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22.
And we'll look at verse 24. It says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. Now, why is it that we are to avoid an angry, furious man? Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. In other words, the, the Proverbs is not talking about music, but it's talking about those things that influence you, the, the people that are around you, the, the music that you listen to. All of these things have an influence one way or another, for good or for bad. Many years ago, there was a, a young couple in the church. Actually, it was they weren't even a couple when I first met them. I eventually baptized them, and then they... Uh, uh, he got married, and I performed the ceremony for him, and I used to go hunting and fishing with this fellow a lot, and we got together a lot of times on Saturday night. Just a, a wonderful couple, loved them. And uh, the, the young lady was uh, had quite a personality, and a very, very dear personality. And she was telling us one day that she had, she had lost her job, and we, we asked her, well, what happened? And she had a, a good job at the time. And she said, well, I quit. Oh, really, why did you quit? Well, I got upset. And um, I I should give this background. There was a job, I'm sorry, there was a song by a guy by the name of Johnny Paycheck. That's an old-time singer. This goes back several decades. And he had this song that was very popular at the time, and you'd hear it all the time. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. And so this young lady got fed up on the job one day, something with her boss, and so she said, you can take this job and shove it. And she was, well, you know, why don't you apologize? She said, I'm too embarrassed. She said, at least I could have said something original. (laughs) But this is what she had been listening to. As everybody else, you didn't have a choice. If you're listening to music on the radio, it kept coming up. And so, in the heat of the moment of this conflict with her boss, what came out of her mind? What she'd been feeding her mind or allowing her mind to be fed. And she was too embarrassed to go back after what she had said and done. Well, that's, I guess, another story. But here's another form of, uh, of junk soup. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but conspiracy theories. I know we have a neighbor that's into conspiracy theories, and even the other neighbors are finally saying, you know, it's just gone too far, just gone too far. But people get into them, and then they just get deeper and deeper. Uh, those of us who've been around a while recognize that conspiracy theories come and they go. And I remember when the Illuminati was a big deal, and uh, Rockefeller, his first name, whichever one it was, uh, uh, was was supposedly a part of it, and he was going to be the next president. Well, he died. That kind of, but they didn't stop the theory. They just keep going and changing the names, the persons, whatever. So you have these conspiracy theories that go on. And if one of them turns out to be true, the question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? 
is it worth spending a lot of time getting caught up in it? You know, when somebody gets caught up in conspiracy theories, there's usually somebody that's rational, logical around them, maybe many people, trying to help them to see that really this is probably not good for you to get caught up in this because what, what about doing the work? What about, um, you, you know, study and studying the Bible and, and reading some other things besides just conspiracy things? Uh, there are people around try to help them out, but here's what uh, Proverbs 18 tells us, verse, verse two verses. A man who isolates himself, because that's what happens, they begin to isolate themselves, maybe with others who believe in the conspiracies, or maybe just by themselves, of what they've read and heard. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. You know, that's what happens. They get caught up and they, no matter how many people of understanding try to help them, they can't. So that's all the time I'll spend on that one. But why do we gravitate toward junk food and junk soup? Physical junk food and spiritual junk food. Why do we gravitate toward it? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us the reason for it. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, or the pleasures of sin for a season, I think is the way the old King James has it. The fact is, these things are pleasurable. They may not be to your neighbor, but they're pleasurable to you. I, I, you know, if we take rap music, I'm sure if I were X number of years younger, and I grew up in a certain group of people uh, that were into that, my friends were into it, I probably would love the beat as well. But right now, it has no appeal for me. And probably most of us who are over the age of, what, 30? I don't know, 40, 50? But all these things have an appeal. They, they are pleasurable to somebody. Violent video games are appealing. They're fun. For some people, romance novels are fun to read or that sort of thing. And movies, it's fun. It's enjoyable. We do not deny that these things are not enjoyable. That's why Satan is so good at things. He takes, especially like music, he'll take a terrible theme, but he'll put it to beautiful music. And it floods into our minds. And sometimes it's very subconscious. But... Moses looked around him. He saw the age in which he was living. And he was willing to forsake being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The pleasures of sin. There is pleasure in sin. It's just that it's not always pleasurable the next day or off in the future someplace. Sin may be fun today, but not tomorrow. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, 
Galatians 6. And verse 7. says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That's really what's at stake here. Physical junk food can destroy the body over time. Spiritual junk food can destroy the soul, so to speak, can destroy your spirit life. There are admonitions and warnings that God gives us. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So what kind of company do we keep? What kind of company online do we keep? What kind of company do we keep in the friends that we have? What kind of company in the music that we listen to? In Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 1 and 2, he said, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the challenge we have. It isn't just to be baptized and then just run along or flow along with the world but we are to come out of that, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's a lifelong process. Revelation 18.4 says, Come out of this world, this, this Babylon. Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen. He says, Come out of this Babylon. One last scripture, John the 6th chapter. John 6. And we could read much more in this chapter, but I'm just going to go to verse 48. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the food of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Physical food, whether it's good food, which manna would have been, uh, which... They didn't like after a while. Uh, But whatever the food is, we're going to die. This physical body will die. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread of life, which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. In effect, we have choices. We can feed on Jesus Christ, which means we can feed on this particular book. We can feed on the the sermons, the messages, and we can be circumspect and we can look around us and see how the world is impacting us or we can just float along, doing what's fun, doing what's enjoyable, not thinking about it, not being circumspect. Here we can go right down the tube with the rest of the world. You know, too many people in the worldwide church of God that happen to. 
by the tens of thousands, they went back into the world. And you have to say, why? Were they truly feeding on Jesus Christ? Were they circumspect about life? Or were they looking for the fun things to do? And when someone told them they could keep Christmas, they could eat pork, they could do these other things, they just went along with it. Let us close our eyes and our ears to junk soup and open them to the bread that promotes good spiritual health and eternal life.